Man, let's get a Lord of hand praise again. Through it all, through it all, we learn to trust in Jesus and we learn to trust in his word. Amen. We thank the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Before Pastor come and give us the message this morning, I want to read scripture from 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 5. And it says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son cleansed us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned it, we make him a lie and his word is not in us. Amen. We thank him for the reading of the word this morning. Amen. Are you ready to be blessed? Are you ready to be blessed? Would you stand up on your feet? Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to be on one accord with one thing in mind that we know our pastor going to bless us this morning. Amen. So right now, as he come forth, we ask you to give him a big old hand praise. Amen. Pastor Jerris. All right. Make sure I navigate this mic right. That's the, that's the term of the pandemic, navigate. <laughs> All right. If you will, join with me in a word of prayer. Father God, your word is so precious. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Lord, it's the anchor of our soul. And Father, we love your word and we want to hear from your word on today. Lord, I ask that you Bless the saints with a message from on high. Lord, to uh, equip them to live for you, to your glory, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before we uh, get into the message, I got some um, business I want to take care of. Uh, 
this has been a long process for me. Uh, It's been about a year um, in in, in the making. I've I've prayed about it and just, uh, you know, consulted others about it as well. And um, there's a provision uh, within uh, our uh, bylaws here at New Life where um, when the church is in a, um, find itself in a situation where they need to um, elect or appoint a trustee and, uh, and, and things are like pretty, um, how can I say it, pretty desperate. The pastor can then um, place someone, appoint someone in that position. Amen. Uh, we um, had, uh, within our trustees, we had uh, Sister Deborah Gordon, who uh, retired and relocated on us. Amen. And then uh, that uh, left us down a body. Then we uh, also had, we, we made an arrangement with Deacon Crisman where we we're gonna allow him to play like he's retired. <laughs> so so uh, we're, we're in that arrangement, you know, don't tell him, but he, <laughs> we just playing like he retired. And, and also uh, Deacon Price as well. We just, we just let them play like they retired. But we, they know we still rely on them. Nevertheless, um, that brought us down to where we were bare boned. And then, um, lo and behold, the Lord had uh, uh, laid it upon uh, this brother's heart, uh, Jason Politeer. And he stepped up and, um, and he joined uh, forces with uh, Sister Radcliffe. And Darren, who really wasn't per se to be in that role, but uh, we had to put another hat on him. And uh, like I said, Brother Politeer came. And as I said last week, loves numbers. Uh, I don't get that, but uh, he's, uh, he's a brother that just blessed this church in, in so many ways. So he stepped aboard. But... We still needed, um, we still needed others, amen, because it boiled down to where really we had two people and a third one functioning until we get more bodies. So um, as I stated, the Lord had placed uh, this brother on my heart about a year ago, and, and uh, I was asking, her, asking around and pitching the ideal of him coming aboard as a, as a trustee, so I made my move, shot my shot, and I came to him, and uh, we went through the process, and I'm so happy today to let you all know that um, uh, Brother Tom accepted uh, that position. Amen. And uh, he's... Uh, He's shown that he, he, he loves God's people. He 
He loves God's word. Uh, he uh, dipped his toe into the jail ministry, and then all of a sudden he fell all into it. And man, he loves that as well. And I tell you, this is, I don't know who's, who's sidekick, but they, they are a team. They are a team, and they, uh, they love that ministry, and he's got a testimony that I tell you that'll move your heart. Nevertheless, he's uh, coming aboard as one of the trustees, and I'm happy to say that, and uh, God bless you, brother. If it, uh, of course, uh, if it wasn't uh, this pandemic thing going on, I don't know, we probably would have had all the pomp and circumstance, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later, but right now, we're going to throw you in. <laughs> Amen. Amen. God bless you. All right. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus, the 20th chapter. Exodus, the 20th chapter. And uh, from lesson six. Lesson six, I, I told you all that I would be uh, going over the Sunday school lessons and making sure that we keep uh, keep up with those because those are some just some awesome lessons I tell you. But lesson six and the title of that lesson was and is rather uh, Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, Amen. And it's coming from Exodus, the twentieth chapter, verses one through seventeen. 1 through 17. 1 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, uh, once again, I ask that you turn there. I'll be reading from the NS, NASB version. And um, we'll go forward. I would like to say in starting that uh, the Ten Commandments, believe it or not, they are a sermon within themselves. You know, each one can actually be a sermon <laughs> that you can preach. It could be a series of 10 sermons, but we're just going to kind of go over them uh, briefly, if you will. Exodus 20th chapter, verses one through seven. And let me say this too, that um, thinking of it, um, I, I've been in conversations uh, with others as well. Lord is uh, working on, on on hearts here at 296, and the best is yet to come. We we got others that we're plugging in as well. So let me definitely say that, and and just hold on to your seats. You'll see. Amen. All right. Exodus 20th chapter, verse one through 17. Then God spoke all these words, saying. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not Worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, 
am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Covers it all, don't it? Man. As we stated in prior sermons, the overarching theme of this quarter is God's preparation of a nation. Lessons throughout the month of September, if you go back and look at the expositor or Sunday school material, it focused on how God provided for the nation of Israel. He delivered them from Egypt's uh, slavery. He provided water and manna from heaven. God also provided victory from their enemies. And by the way, God's preparation and provision, these things are not uh, um, things that he just willy-nilly do. They are very thought out and they are very thorough. Amen. He's... He's not a willy-nilly God. He's not a God that flies by the seat of his pants, so to speak, and give last-minute bailouts. He's a God that knows it all. He's a God that knows it all, and when he knows it all, he knows exactly how things will turn out and how they will be. Amen? Just think about it. By the time he delivered Israel, the nation of Israel, from the Egyptian slavery, they were so numerous that they were in a position to defend themselves 
from the Amalekites. That's how thoughtful God is. See, if he would have saved them and they were just a couple of hundred, and it couldn't probably be an opposing army, right? However, he made sure that they were numerous enough to defend themselves as well along the way. Amen. He was a, he's a well thought out God. He's a he's a God that that plans everything. He's a God that knows it all. So the the nation left Rephidim. And now after 3 months from leaving Egypt, they are at Mount Sinai. And God kept his word to Moses. In chapter 3, God told Moses that he would Use him to lead out the people from Egypt and take them to the promised land. God kept his word. But along the way, before they reached Mount Sinai, we see that the folks grumbled and mumbled and they bellyached and they complained to a point where not only did they provoke Moses, but they even provoked God. Amen. And they and and they proved to be in need of judges as well. Because think about it, day and night Moses was judging the people. He was exhausting himself. And when he was judging folks, obviously there was some conflict going on. People weren't getting along, and he had to settle disputes. So then his father-in-law came to him and said, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to just kill yourself if you go at this pace, if you keep going at this pace. Appoint men, right? Appoint others to help you out in this, this judging process, right? That's what Moses did. He took his advice. But the fact that people needed judges show you that they weren't right. It shows you that they weren't right. They needed things to guide them along. Now, we come to this uh, lesson that will illustrate that just like us, this nation not only needed protection and provision, but they needed instruction as well. And that's what God was giving them with the Ten Commandments. He was giving them instruction. Before they possessed the land, they needed rules or else it would be just chaos. They needed some rule, did some, some boundaries, amen, as others and writers and other speakers stated that they needed boundaries because they, they, they weren't going to play by the rule. They, 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 they weren't playing by the rules. And God said, okay, let me put some boundaries for these people. And this leads us once again to our text today. God starts with the Decalogue, the 10 words, or we know them as the 10 commandments, right? Each of them alone can be a sermon, as I stated. And these are 10 basic generally stated rules that together they would cover the entire law. They, they cover the entire law of God. What's interesting, too, is how the Sunday school, one of the Sunday school writers said this. 
It is tempting to teach the Ten Commandments as a list of rules we should follow. But this risks imparting moralism and religious legalism on young people. Faith in God is not the fruit of obedience. To get that. Faith in God is not the fruit of obedience. Obedience is the fruit of faith in God. Faith in God is not the fruit of obedience. Obedience is the fruit of faith in God. In other words, you can't work your way to being cool with God. Amen? That faith that he places in you will help you keep his word and be obedient to him. So faith in God is not the fruit of obedience. Obedience is the fruit of faith in God. To put it bluntly, the Ten Commandments, they don't save you. The Ten Commandments, amen, they can't save you. Just like the rest of the law, God has designed the Ten Commandments to show you that you can't keep them. Look down the list and be honest with yourself and say, yeah, ever since I was born, I kept every last one of them. And if you say that, you'll, you'll, thou shall not lie. <laughs> you, just, you just broke it, right? You just broke it. Yeah. Elder Williamson, uh, he would give the illustration of uh, the wet paint sign. And that's what these Ten Commandments were, like a wet paint sign. See, what happens is he said in his illustration that you would be minding your own business. You would be going along, but then all of a sudden you would see that sign that says wet paint. Something within you just makes you want to go over there and just touch it and see if it really is wet, right? You were minding your own business until you saw that sign, and that sign did something to you. It made you just curious, adventurous, or whatever, but it just made you say, I just want to see if it really is wet. I just want to see if it really is wet. And when they say wet, paint, what we really read is, don't touch it. Don't touch it. And what it brings out within us is this. You don't tell me what to do. That's what it brings out. You don't tell me what to do. So that those wet paint all of a sudden becomes a whole paragraph. 
you ain't my boss. You don't tell me what to do. You ain't my mama. You ain't my dad. And we touch it, right? And we touch, and that's what the Ten Commandments, that's what they do. <laughs> See, all of a sudden, we were minding our own business, doing what we want to do, and God brings out 10 things that makes us think. Just like Eve, when Eve was back, back in the day, <laughs> right? And God said, you can have all the fruit. You know, you can eat from every, don't touch, don't eat off this one, right? And that made something just rise up. And see, what rises up within us is called, it's in nature. <laughs> we just can't not not do wrong. We just got to touch it if it's wet paint. And the Ten Commandments bring this out, and, and Elder Williamson in his illustration of that wet paint just shows us just how bad off we are, right? Once you see the prohibition, something rises up within us, and it says, I, I got to do it. I, I, hey, you, you have you, you told me no, I say yes, right? So it tells us that we need something else to rescue us. We need someone else to step in to rescue us from ourselves, right? We need a deliverer. We need a redeemer. We need someone that can help us because we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. It's not a, a self-help program that will be the solution for us. It's not willpower that will make us get the victory. We are desperately in need of someone to rescue us from us. Amen. The enemy as well, but also from us. And that one, that special one is Jesus Christ. That's, that's, where, that's where the Ten Commandments, and that's who the, the Ten Commandments point to, is Jesus Christ. It shows you yourself, and it shows you that you can't do it on your own. But there's one that's coming that will help you. So the Ten Commandments, they were illustrating the fact that you can't do it on your own. They, they set boundaries because you would be crazy without them. You would go crazy without them. So they set boundaries. But they also pointed to the fact that it's temporary and someone will be coming along by the name of Jesus Christ that will rescue you from yourself. Amen. So this nation was under a, it was a theocratic government. Okay, previously in Genesis, God had made an unconditional covenant with Abraham. Amen. You all recall, he made an unconditional covenant with Abraham where he told Abraham to split up certain animals, right? An animal, and, he, and Abraham was waiting because he was, he was sitting by, standing by, waiting because he just thought he was going to walk in between them with God. But Abraham got tired and he got sleepy and he fell into a deep sleep. 
Amen. And God walked through by himself. Amen. And that basically showed that God said, I am going to keep my word. It's not going to depend on you, Abraham. This is this is not conditional. This is unconditional. This is something that I know that I will keep. So he said, I'm going to make an unconditional covenant with you, Abraham. I'm going to make sure that you have, that you turn into a great nation. Amen. I'm going to make sure that you have this promised land that we talked about. And, and that's what he did at this point. Israel had grown into millions by this time. God kept his word. They were at the foot of Mount Sinai, right on the verge of going into the promised land. God kept his word. Amen. However, at this point, the people now was going to enter into a new type of covenant with God. This one was going to be conditional. This one was conditional. And conditional meant that curses, if you disobey, and blessings, if you obey. So you're going to get a tap tap if you disobey, but blessings if you obey. Amen. So to start it off, God said, let's establish the terms of agreement. Right? So let's start it off by saying, uh, let's see who's involved this arrangement here. Let me, let me, if I'm speaking for God, God said, let me remind you of who I am. <laughs> this is who you are coming into this uh, relationship, this covenant with. You're coming into it with, I am. I am. And you got to have the right view of I am to make sure that everything else falls in place. You're dealing with me, he said, right? Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He wanted to remind them that they weren't talking to their buddy and all of a sudden they were just making an arrangement and a covenant. No, they were talking to the Lord God here. And he wanted to make sure that was clear. He wanted to make sure that was clear before he goes into any terms. Hey, you are dealing with God here. And you got to have a proper view of God before you venture into a relationship. Amen. And he goes on to say here in the first commandment, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Notice that that is a small g. That is a small That is not a big g. Every time God talks of himself, look in verse 1. He said, it says, then God. You see that big g? That's God because there's only one big g. There's only one big G, and that's God himself. And in verse 2, it says, I am the Lord. That, that, even the L is capital. 
He says, I am the Lord, your, there go that big G again, God, right? But then verse three, it says, you shall have no other gods. Small g before me. Now, why was God saying this? Well, they should have seen that there was only one God because of what he did in Egypt, right? Egypt had gods for everything. I mean, everything. They had a God for the river. They had a God for, uh, that, that was represented by the locusts. They had every, every, every plague that God presented their way was one of their gods, right? It, it was something that represented one of their gods. And God waxed them all. He showed that their, their gods weren't gods at all. So they should have seen by what he did in Egypt that he was the only true God. And all the other ones were fakes. Right? All the other ones were fakes. They should have seen this already. And then he goes on to say, you shall not make your, for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the sea or the, or the earth. Right here, he was saying to them that, look, not only am I God and not only are there no other gods, but I don't want you to do anything that would put me on the same level as them. That I, don't even, I don't even want you to put me on the same level as them. When he spoke to the people uh, in chapter 19, Moses spoke to God, but God spoke in thunder. Right? And all of a sudden, the mountain shook and everything else, and the people even in this chapter, in, in, in verse 18, they said, Moses, look, <laughs> you talk to us. We, we don't want all that. <laughs> that's, that's scary, <laughs> right? That's scary. All that thunder and rumbling and everything. We don't want to, you, we, we, we hear you, Moses. You talk to us, and we will listen to you. But that there, that's scary. That'll kill you, Right? That will kill you. So you talk to us, right? And that's what, <laughs> that's what was going on here. And, and he said, there's no, no, no playing field. I mean, I don't, I, I don't share my glory with no one. I am God. Make any images or anything else. See, if, if God would have spoken voice, just think about it, because this is how we are. If God would have spoke in a voice, then all of a sudden, somebody in the crowd said, Man, that sounds like Uncle Jimmy. And then Uncle Jimmy would be going around, thou shalt not. And Uncle Jimmy would have been worshipped because he sounds like God that day. See, God didn't want, no, uh-uh. God didn't want anything mixing him up, right? He didn't want, you know, he didn't want, you know, to all of a sudden show you know, some face in the cloud, and all of a sudden it, it, it turned into a face, and people look and say, I look a little like Uncle Jimmy. 
And then all of a sudden, Uncle Jimmy, like, I look like God, right? No, he didn't want anything to mix it up. He doesn't want images or anything like that because he's in a league of his own. He's God and he's God alone, right? In addition to this, it says in 1 John that God is a spirit, right? God is a spirit. And it goes on in the Gospel of John to state that we must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. And, and it's deep because God is a spirit because, too, it points us to one definite truth that we have to understand. This thing is not physical. This thing is spiritual, right? Although these commandments will talk about physical things, it really points to spiritual things. It really points to how you are inside, what's going on inside with you. Amen. So don't give me idols. Don't give me anything you call yourself uh, uh, representing me. Don't do that. See, and, and, and the reason why this thing is so spiritual is because truth be told, you don't need a physical idol to have an idol. You don't need a physical idol, a visible idol to have an idol. Some idols are not visible. Amen. Some idols are not visible. Some people have idols in their lives that are not visible. You don't need a visible idol to have an idol. Amen? Just like Elder Wibbs has said, sometimes, you, you, you know, you have, uh, <laughs> he would say, I don't understand how alcohol would just twist somebody's arm and, and beat them upside the head and say, drink me, drink me drink me. It's because of what was going on inside. I don't understand why uh, uh, he said, I don't understand why you, you smoke and your head is a chimney. He would say, you know, I don't understand how you have that habit. That's what he would say. But it's because it was what was going on on the inside that he was pointing to. So you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. He goes on to say, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of others on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, let us pause here to say that God is not like your jealous husband. God is not like your jealous wife or your jealous boyfriend or your jealous girlfriend. No, it's not talking about that type of jealousy. No, God is saying that I have shown you <laughs> that I am the only God. I have shown you by just what I've done in Egypt that I am the only God. I refuse, refuse to lose you to that. Now, refuse to lose you. See, what I'm jealous for is I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you. And it's a song that says, he is jealous for me. 
right? Because he sees that all that other nonsense will not do for you. That's why he wants you to concentrate on him because all the other stuff is fake. It is fake. Matter of fact, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it said that when you really look behind all these false gods, it's nothing more than demons. It's nothing more than demons trying to play God, right? They're trying to play God. See, but God is jealous for us in that he wants to make sure that you understand that he's all in in rescuing you. He's all in in delivering you. He's all in in redeeming you. He showed that he was all in by giving you his one and only begotten son. That's what it means in terms of his jealousy. And then it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. It's not saying that we pay for our daddy and granddaddy's sins. It's not saying that. But what it is saying is this, is that our parents and our grandparents, they have influence on these children. They see how you are living. They see how you are conducting yourself. Remember that song that says, you're the only Bible that someone may ever read? They see how you're conducting yourself. And some of them choose to go that same at you. If you don't like God, they don't like God. You hate God, they hate God. And they go the same path. You know, one of the, one of the worst things it, uh, that a child can see is an inconsistent life for God. Think about it. It's an inconsistent life for God because then all of a sudden, God becomes in their eyes. And God is not that serious. What happens is, I don't want to say a hypocritical life, but I'm just saying even in an inconsistent life, it can have, an, it can have a, a negative effect on a child because they're looking and they're observing and they're seeing how you treat God. And they're watching how you treat God. How important is God to you? Because what they're going to do is they're going to follow in your steps. I told you all before, I remember, and, I, and I'm quite sure you all can recall as well, if, if you go back and, and remember when your uh, children were younger, uh, I, I would drink and I, and I would just like, just be drinking some Kool-Aid. And then all of a sudden, when I took a sip, Jalen took a sip. When I sat like this, Jalen said like this. When I walked a certain way, Jalen was like, watching me, observing me, checking me out, watching how I treated people, watching how I treated his mother, watching how I treated his sisters, watching how I treated folks at the church, watching how I treated God. This is what folks, they got to be mindful of the fact that your children are watching. And God is saying that if your children end up hating me like you hate me, I got to deal with them. If your grandchildren end up hating me like you hate me, I got to deal with them. 
Amen. Got to deal with them. And that's more or less what this was saying here. But showing love and kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. He goes on in verse 7 to say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. You know, it's no big deal today. Matter of fact, it's even permitted on television now to say a, a, a very popular swear word that's lead, that, that, that uses God's name. It's no, it's no reverence for his name. See, in the Bible, if you recall, names had a lot to do with your character. Amen? And when God named someone, he used to rename someone just specifically for their purpose and their calling. Amen? So names mean something. So, you know, when folks are inventing names today, I won't give you one for example, but if you're, if you're, but you're inventing these names, <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, I don't know where that goes. I don't know where it's going. But if you look in a name dictionary, you would see some, some resemblance to what a name means, right? What a name means. And God, if you look at his name, it means something that is holy and to be respected and, and to be reverenced. And you can't use his name just, just all flippantly and, and with all empty. You have to speak his name with him in mind and understanding all who he is. And you'll never, ever play with his name because you're never playing with his character. You're never playing with who he is. Amen. And that's what this keeping his name holy is about and not taking it in vain. Amen. Goes on and says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So some folks say that there were obviously two tablets that Moses was uh, going down with. Now, remember that uh, the movie Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston, it, it was off a lot. It was, okay, so, so don't, you know, you can have the image of having two stone tablets, but all, it's a lot of stuff. You got to read the Bible. Amen. But they said one tablet, most uh, expositor writers say that one tablet had the first um, three or four commandments on it, and they basically were the vertical commandments, right? These are all the commandments that had to do with God. All of a sudden, you had the second one that had to do with the horizontal, right? So it's interesting that it's in that order because these first commandments that we went over had to do with your relationship with God. And your relationship with God got to be right before your relationship down here is right, right? See, you, you, you can't, you, you know, you can't say that you love someone that you don't see and then hating folks that you do see, right? See, if you love him, you're going to love us too. Amen. And that's how it goes in First John, by the way. That's quoting First John. If you love him, you got to love 
us as well. Amen. So getting this relationship right, this tablet right, will help you get this tablet right. Amen. And that's what he went into. And before he went into that, he said, not only does God want your relationship with him to be right, but he also wants your time to be handled right as well. And it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, we don't keep the Sabbath as the Israelites keep it, right? Because their Sabbath was on Saturday, right? So every day is a holy day for us right now in this new commandment, in this new um, time. Amen? So what happens now is that when every day is holy, basically what we read out of this commandment here to remember the Sabbath is, hey, remember your time is not really your own. Your time is not really your own. God has placed you down here for a certain amount of time to do something. And that doing something is not serving you. It's serving him. So you got to remember that he's given you a purpose in life and you ought to use that time serving him. So often with us thinking what we need to do for us. When it should start, as Tony Evans says, it should start with, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What would you have me to do today? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and it you shall not do any work, you or, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the, Sabbath, on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And made it holy. So he's pausing to let you know that you need to treat your time wisely. Amen. And when he puts that pause in there to say, make sure that you treat your time. Then he says, now let's deal with treating people right. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Isn't it interesting that he starts in the home? And it interesting that he starts in the home because everything is anchored in the home. He wants you to honor your father and your mother. He does not want you to treat them lightly. Why? Because they are representing him in your life. They are representing him in your life. And he wants you to have that due respect for them. You know, it's so hard at times. And I, on my job, I deal often with situations in which parents are not doing right. And they're not treating the kids right. They, they, and at times they're downright abusive. 
And most often I have to have conversations with the kids and say, yeah, but you got to respect the position. Yeah, they may not be perfect. They may not be doing everything right, but you got to respect the fact that they're mama. You got to respect the fact that they're father. Because it's a blessing in that if you keep that in mind. Now, it's not saying that you can't challenge mom and challenge dad in a respectful way to do what's right. But it is saying that I will always keep in mind that I am the child and you are the mother and you are the father. Because if you lose that, and in essence, you lose a very important anchoring point. God says, honor your mother and your father. Amen. And it says that your days may be prolonged. And, and, and the truth be told that if you, if you honor them, then all of a sudden you'll understand that you need to honor other folks in the society as well. You learned your lesson at home. So then you understand that you need to honor or respect the teacher. Then you need to you also understand that you need to honor and respect authority in other areas as well. And it transfers and it goes outside the home and it helps you in your relationship with others as well. That's why it's so important to have this anchoring point and home teaches you how to deal with things outside the home. Amen. It teaches you how to deal with things outside the home because all of a sudden when you, so often if, if, <laughs> if the kids have no rules in the house, and then you send them to school and the teacher starts talking to them sideways and they got some, they got some words for the teacher. And it's the same words they use at the house, right? They, they, and they're like, hey, I can talk this way to mama. I'm going to talk this way to you too, right? But it also goes on to, hey, I can talk to my mama this way. I can talk to the teacher this way. So I'm going to talk to the, to the liaison officer in the school. I'm going to talk to him that way too. I know you're a sheriff, but you ain't my mom, <laughs> right? And they go on and they have no respect for anything or anyone. And then all of a sudden, I come along as a probation officer, and guess what they do to me? This, did it to my mama. I did it to the teacher. I did it to the officer before you got here. And now I'm doing it to you. And I say, well, I'm going to put you somewhere until you realize that you can't do that. Right? So that's my fix to it. <laughs> if you would have listened to your mama, I wouldn't have had to put you there. And that's how it goes. And then when you get their attention, then all of a sudden, it's like, let me bring it back to home and fix that relationship within the home. And then we can go ahead and fix things in society as well. Amen. It goes on to say here that you shall not murder very quickly. That's pretty much respect life. Respect life, right? Respect life. Uh, uh, there are three positions uh, um, 
RC Sproul says there 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 is uh is pro-abortion, he says, and then there's uh, um pro-life, but then there's this thing called pro-choice. You see what I'm saying? It, it, he had a very great argument. If you would read his book on on abortion, you would see that God says to respect life and it's not confusing it's not about you know uh, uh all of a sudden having this middle lane here that you can say hey I, it's pro-choice and i you know it's it's up to you it's up to you now god makes it clear <laughs> god makes it clear he says life is precious life is precious and if you can't give life, you can't take life. If you can't give life, you can't take life. Amen. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. We, we'll get to that even later. It's not about like wanting. You can, you can have wants and you can have desires, but not for other people's stuff. Not for other people's stuff. That messes up society as well. Amen? It's nothing wrong with desiring things, wanting things. You know, I, you know, I, want, you know the, the, I want the latest Jordans. That's cool. But the problem comes when I want your Jordans. <laughs> you know, the problem is when I want yours. And I come up to you and I say, run them. Check them in. Give me yours. Right? That's the problem. Amen? Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's another thing. Right? All of a sudden, it's, it's, it's hey, you know, God has set this thing where it's an intimate relationship with one person. And it's okay. You know, intimacy and everything else, that's blessed by God. To be close and, 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 and to be close up and personal with someone, that's good. The problem comes when you want to be up close and personal with other folks. You want to be up close and personal with her, 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 her. No. No. God says, keep it exclusive. <laughs> right? And, and, and don't go looking over the fence, thinking the grass is greener on the other side. Goes on to say, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. This is also in mindful of a court, a court scene, he's saying, but he's also saying in life as well, be honest, right? Let your yes be and your no no, right? And I'm going through these uh, quickly, and he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his male female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor, his car, his Cadillac, his... See, it, is everything in here. Because he's pointing, he's showing you, and he's getting down to the fact that this thing is all about 
an inward attitude here. That's what coveting is all about. Coveting is about what's going on on the inside of you. And he's saying if the inside is not right, then you're not going to treat outside things right. Coveting is that thing in which you just get an inordinate, inordinate. It's, it's like a, a, a crazy view of wanting and, and grabbing for things and, and desiring things. And you just, just don't care. You just go out and you just want what you want. And God's saying, no, that's not how it goes. There are boundaries to this thing. You can have all that you need. You can have all that you need within these boundaries. Within these boundaries. Amen? Within these boundaries. So this is what God is saying here. And and in order to keep these, and as I stated, all of these could be a sermon within themselves. But we just touched upon them. And I would uh, refer you all to um, Tony Evans' series that we all have access to on Right Now Media. He basically has a sermon to all of these, and I and I was checking it out, and it's good. Like I said, we don't have time today to develop all of these. We only touched upon them, and I didn't want to leave any one of them out. But I say to you, circle back around and check that series out on Right Now Media. It's provided by our church, and it'll be a blessing to you. But I want to leave you just with one thing, and that is, you can't even keep these. <laughs> can't even try to keep these if you don't have a right relationship with God. These are in place still. These commandments are in place still because they are eternal. They were, they were in practice before Moses got them. And they are in practice now, even all throughout the New Testament. You can see how they are active and and living these Ten Commandments all within the words of Christ. You can see. uh, You've heard it that you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you look at your brother and and say, fool, (laughs) right? Because he came in and he said, let me really point to not the outside thing, but let me point to the inside thing. And these things are eternal. If you want to please God, you need God. (laughs) You need him. You need to establish a relationship with him. And that's what I say to you today. This is not about willpower. This is not about just going and getting a self-help book. And then all of a sudden, you'll be okay. This is not about listening to Dr. Phil or Oprah or to any of them. That will not help you. What will help you to please him is him. You need a relationship with him. Stop wasting time and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Don't let a moment pass you by. Choose ye this day who you will serve. And if you are inclined to do just that, those on Zoom, give us a call. 
We will walk you through it and help you through it. And those who are here, we have those available right after dismissal to do just that with you. Amen. God bless you all. And I'll turn it into the hands of those who will properly dismiss us. God bless you.